Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I have to tell you something, people. I, you know, as I moved back in May, back to the East Coast, and I felt the cold I have not felt for a long time. I did some shows this weekend. I haven't been on stage for a long time, but I did some comedy shows at the wonderful Comedy Works in Bristol. And after the show Saturday, well, Friday was freezing, too. It was like 22 degrees. Saturday was like 28. And, after the, and I'm not used to that. And after the shows, I'm walking out on Saturday, and this these kids, not kids, people at the show were like, hey, can we take a picture with you? I said, yeah, and, and neither of their phones worked, and so I was sitting there freezing my ass off. I get to my car, there was ice, and I'm going to tell you people, I think it might be a long winter. It's, uh, I, I can't say, but I think it might be a long winter, but it's okay, because I'm good to be back east, but uh, anyway, that's about it. So, we have a great show today. My guest, you know, I just, I watched, I watched the season finale, of series finale of Vice Principals this weekend, and uh and he's just great. And, it, and, you know, I watch college football, so I see him in the commercials. You know, he's, we'll talk about that. But my guest is a great actor. He's been around for a long time. My guest is Jim Connor. How you doing, Jim? Good, Steve. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. That's, I got to tell you, I was, I, was the, I, was bummed, I was bummed to see Vice Principals end. I mean, it ended great. It was a great finale. But I wish they'd done another extra season out of that. Yeah, there's been massive depression over all over the country. Yeah. It's uh, terrible. You know, I think that was what was keeping America moving forward was vice principles. I, so, yeah, I mean, that explains everything now. I mean, you know, um, yeah, they, they had an idea for a, a long movie. So they broke it up into 18 episodes. And Danny and Jody, uh, yeah, Danny McBride, Jody Hill, David Gordon Green. Jody Hill uh, directed the first season. David Gordon Green directed the second season. Those guys are very busy guys. Danny was in the alien, the alien movie, the last alien movie. Right. I mean, the guy, is, you know, he's, he's blown up a few years ago. And uh, so I think they just uh, had an agreement with HBO. HBO seems to use the same people. You know, he's found it down. was pretty successful for him. So uh, I think they were happy to have these guys back. Now, now you were not, but you've been acting for a long time. Now, you're originally from the Midwest. You're from Nebraska, I believe. Yeah, I grew up in Omaha. It's the uh, hub of the universe. That's what we call it. <laughs> hub, hub of the universe. So, so at what age did you decide? What were you like as a kid? Did you want to go into acting as a kid, or what was what was what what ended you going to this career? And you've been very successful at what? Was, what were you like as a child? Uh, well, I was the youngest of seven, so it's sort of like the uh, I don't know what it's the curse that uh, you become an actor because it's like you could go out and ask. You know, a large percent, I mean, a large number of actors, three quarters of them will say that they're the youngest in the family. And I went to grad school. It was like that was the number. I went to, you know, grad school, the National Theater Conservatory uh, for acting. And that was that was the number. It was like three quarters. We were all uh, the youngest. Well, it's funny. So you get you grow up, you know, you have an, you have an audience, you know. That's so. funny. Yeah, because Joel Murray is the youngest of nine. So, you know, you, yeah. you grow up with these big families. So as a kid, you had an audience. Now, in high school, did you get involved in plays? Or when did you start getting involved in in actual getting on stage? Uh, in high school, I did uh, humorous and dramatic and terp. I went to nationals uh, for the National Forensic League, went to nationals twice. And uh, I thought, you know, plays were pretty cheesy they were being at my high school the first few years they were being done by the band instructor who didn't know anything about you know theater and then the woman who was running the speech uh started speech department 
and who was my coach, and I'm a speech coach, she started an improv group called the Prep Improvisational Troupe. So we called ourselves the uh, Pits. And we did uh, fantastic shows at women's lunches and uh, Rotary Club functions. So you know, we did two, uh, we did two, you know, we went on and did two shows, stuff like that. But it was, uh, it was fun. And those guys, you know, Alexander Payne was in that, in the prep improvisation troupe. Uh, other guys that have gone on to be, uh, you know, working in radio and stuff like that, they were in there. So it was a, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was fun. It was a learning experience. Uh, and then I was in, we finally got somebody who, uh, was a, a theater uh, guy who came in. I forget what he taught, but he was, you know, he's putting on these great plays and I was in, uh, Man of La Mancha. And, uh, you know, so they got a good theater guy and I started doing plays. And I was on a, a play at another all girl school to meet girls. Nice. So I did that. Yeah. So then, and we would uh, we would uh, write pep rallies and perform pep in pep rallies, perform funny funny skits about the opposing team in our you know high school pep rallies. Now, at what form? At what point did you decide that you thought that this could be your career path? When you went to college, you know, you, what was your original major? Uh, I thought it was going to be uh, going to communications. You know, I wanted to revolutionize the uh, sitcom industry. Uh, which is hard to do from Nebraska, but uh, I was tr- I was going to transfer out to you know as young as the seven. All of my older brothers and sisters went to like Georgetown and uh, Arizona State and uh, Stanford and all that stuff. And I was like, well, I'm, that's going to happen to me. By the time you know I I came around, there was for going to college, there was uh, not enough money left, and then it was. Uh, I didn't have the best grades and I didn't apply really well because I was active and also student, uh, uh, student council and all that stuff. And so, um, I ended up going to the university of Nebraska for my freshman year. Then I transferred to St. John's university and the attempt to go to transfer out to UCLA or some, you know, come out to Los Angeles. And I ended up just staying at, uh, St. John's university in, in Minnesota. They had a great theater department. And uh, I graduated from there. And then, what's your plight after that? You said you went to get your, you went and got your graduate degree. No, I went to I moved to Boston and got uh, got in another uh, improv group. Started doing theater. Uh, got my uh, my SAG card, my equity card, my AFTRA card. Uh, I lived there five years. I applied for grad applied to Yale Grad School. And I applied to the National Theater Conservatory in Denver, and they, uh, they accepted me. And so I went there from 87 to 92, and then they hired, well, 87 to 30, yeah. I was there for three years, and then they hired me back for two years to be in the company there. You know, a, a, uh, an award-winning, you know, a Tony Award-winning uh, theater company, regional theater company. It was like the second biggest theater complex outside of the Lincoln Center. And so it's amazing. It's Amazing stuff, and you work with at the theater uh, conservatory. You work with you know actors that are coming into some of the best regional actors, some of the best stage actors in America as your teachers. You know, so you get a good uh, sense of the business. You know, you're not just being taught by someone who's been in uh, 
the university situation for 20 years and has no idea what, what the business end of the business is, you know? So when, and, uh, and I, yeah, just, I was going to say, so when you were there, when you were studying under these great teachers, which you, you were growing in your career, were you concentrating on thinking about going into a stage career and, or were you thinking of possibly, you know, did, was movies and TV in your background or were you just, you know, being a sponge for all the great knowledge you were getting? Well, I was I was thinking of uh, mostly uh, stage. I thought it'd be cool to be going around to different regional theaters acting, you know, because I like traveling. And I thought that would be, you know, my ticket grad degree would be my ticket to that. Uh, and I loved Shakespeare. I loved all this, all this uh, studying. I mean, we had instructors who just opened up the world of Shakespeare to us, you know, made it uh, so accessible, you know, and it just, it, you know, it's poetry, but it comes alive, you know, and when you're on stage, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing, it's an amazing thing. So, you know, that's what I thought I was going to be. And then I, I moved out to my, you know, my, my, I guess my end goal was to move out to, to LA, to move out, move out here. And I came out here because, uh, I met a woman doing a play down in Arizona and she ended up, uh, becoming my first wife. So I moved out here, moved in with her, um, and started, you know, acting in theater productions out here. Uh, I produced, uh, wrote and produced a, a sketch comedy review. Um, and back then, that was in the 90s, you know, there's the theater theater situation, the theater, uh, which is not a, you know, theater uh, community, the theaters out here were not that great. At the end of the 90s, you know, people from Chicago, people that had grown up in theaters, came out here, started some, you know, small little theaters that were actually good, you know. But when I first got here in 93, it was more just a showcase thing. Like, come and see me so you can cast me and you know, come and see me in this Ibsen place. So you're going to cast me in your wacky sitcom, <laughs> you know. What was that like for you sitting there because you had the uh, you had such great training and I know because I lived in LA I just moved back I was in LA for fifteen years and even you know yeah. then that was the late nineties but even then the theater wasn't anything amazing but what was it like for you sitting there coming from you you're coming from you know your school where you're working with and getting taught by these amazing actors stage actors when you go it must was did you notice that the crowds weren't enjoying theater as much in, the, in that time and did it bother you yeah it did i mean i was in good productions with i mean i was in the noise within i did uh play down at the, in long beach at the international theater uh company um so i was in good stuff uh you know uh but still you, you're going you go to see somebody you know friend in the theater and you get ambushed you know it's just be like what the fuck is this you know this is terrible <laughs> You know, it's just like, you know, there's a guy, the country wife, like it's a restoration comedy or something, and it's supposed to be, you know, there's a guy who's designated as the fop. You know, it's like a Comedia dell'arte character, right? But this guy doesn't want to play it as a fop because he doesn't want people to think he's a homosexual and because he wants to get cast in TV. So he plays it straight. So it just ruins the whole play. You know, that's the kind of, that's kind of stuff that you get out here, that you used to get out here. So, um... It was, uh, I, you know, you come out here with it, especially if you come on, you know, master's um, MFA in acting, you have, a, I guess, an attitude, you know, that nobody can teach you anything because you've been, you know, taught by these great people, you know, you, you know, 
spacecraft, you know, all this stuff, you know, how to take apart a script, you know, how to, you know. So, you know, I got out here and I got an agent, and the first thing he said was, well, go live over by Fox Studios and uh, join the Groundlings. And I'm like, I'm not going to join a fucking L.A. improv company. Are you kidding me? I'm a motherfucking NFA, you know, from the National Theater Conservatory, which was started by a mandate of Congress. You know, so it's like, I didn't do that. And now I regret not doing that because, you know, I would have been there with, like, Phil Hartman, uh, Will Ferrell, all those guys. So it was it was weird. It was, it was a weird thing. And then, and then even then, you know, the improv thing, I've always been able to do improv. When I left Boston to go to grad school, I was starting uh, uh, sort of a play. I was started trying to do some plays based on improv. So I'd have a skeleton, a skeletal, you know, uh, outline then why would you know we had a company that I was working with and we'd try to flesh it out with improv you know um and that was starting and i did another play a couple other plays in uh, in boston like that and it was great it was exciting stuff you know you instrument you know as an actor um but in the 90s you know sitcom stuff was you say the words uh you know any television stuff you say the words exactly as they are on page you cannot deviate from that stuff you know and then that has all changed after 2000, you know, when you have uh, Amy Poehler and improv people, you know, improv background people coming uh, and doing, uh, you know, producing their own shows. And so they expect you to, to improv. And, I, and that was great, you know. So I've been working pretty successfully, you know, pretty, you know, I've done Parks and Rec Community, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, and you know, uh, vice principals was was great for improv. You know, they had incredible improvers in that, like uh, Edie Patterson, incredible. She has a she's in, her and her husband uh, run a improv company called Impro Theater, and it's uh, they take you know they do like they they can improv a whole Ibsen play, they can improv a whole Shakespeare play, they can improv a whole Neil Simon play. It's just it's it's amazing. Those guys are amazing. You know, so. What was I say? What was it like when you when you I just said you get, you had the improv, you had this theater background? What was it for like? I know you were you ended up being on a Buffy the Vampire Slayer and King of Queens. What is that like when you go on set and it's very scripted? Is that hard as an actor? I mean, you're an actor, so you can do you you act. But is it something where you wanna you wanna break away sometimes? Because if you may not, I mean, every, uh, you know, if you, you thought the writing wasn't up to par, how do you handle that as an actor and younger in your career? And what was it like when you were first getting in front of the TV cameras? Well, when the first guy in front of the TV cameras had a theater background, so I was doing stuff, you know, movements and uh, using my voice a little too bigly, you know. I was uh, I didn't understand that you had to have economy of movement, you know, and that the, you know there's close-ups, so you can't be looking all over the fucking place. You have to be kind of like use just move your eyes when the camera's on you, you know. And you can see that. I've seen that in you know, fellow students from my grad school and you can see it like with new actors that they just, they're just too big for the camera, you know? So you, I, I learned quickly that I had to have like camera, you know, I had that more camera experience and tone that down this, you know, I'm sure you do voiceover, right? Yeah. Do you do voiceover? Okay. Yeah. So it, that's a whole other thing, you know, so there's, there's all these different categories and, and styles of acting that I had, you know, it took me a while to figure out. And, um, uh, the first five years I was out here, I didn't I didn't act that much on uh, on camera. But after uh, after I kind of figured it out, then I started uh, you know 
Danny Goldman saw me in a, a showcase, you know, a theatrical showcase, and then he had me come in. He got me a commercial agent, and after that, I started working a lot, and that and that sort of became my uh, area of expertise. You know, you have 22 seconds in a commercial, and you have to establish your character, the situation. You have to get, you know, the product information in there, and then you have to make it real. You have to make it funny. So. I was able to do that. And you see people who, you know, now when I go in and audition, I know the, I know the gig, you know, you got to do it fast. And you see people that have been on theater a lot or on stage a lot, or have done movies and they just take pauses between words. And, you know, 45 seconds have gone by and they don't even get their fucking lines out. So it's like, <laughs> what are you doing, man? You just got to make it, you just got to be faster, you know? So, it, it was it was interesting that way, and then that you know, after I did a lot, I, I made a good living at, at commercials. What were um, some of the commercials you did back then? Well, I did. I think the first one was uh, the Bravo card for Discover. I did Holiday Inn. Uh, I did Domino's Pizza. Uh, the Holiday Inn Express was with this comedian guy, and so I got, I got it won an award in Australia for. One of the funniest commercials. Uh, I think the line, my tagline was "Rock on, brother," because this guy was like uh, moved out of his parent. I don't know. It was a funny situation. Um, yeah, and then uh, I did NASCAR for FedEx NASCAR for a couple of years. Uh, and this thing with Dr. Pepper has been the incredible gig. It's kind of blew up. It was only supposed to be for one season. Now, and now, blew up into this now with, the, with the Dr. Pepper, and it's, it's, that's more of a comic role. Were the earlier ones, it sounds like in the Holiday Express, you were more of the straight man, you know, when you said rock on, it's probably more of a straight. What, what, kind of, what kind of characters were you getting cast as in these commercials? Were you getting as a businessman or, or an everyday man? Or what, what were the gigs you were getting? What, what did they, what was, what was your breakdown when, you, when your agent said, here's a breakdown, you're going out for this, you're going out for. Bill, the you know the insurance man, or what kind of characters were you playing in those early commercials? Yeah, not real straight guys, but like the boss, uh, the funny dad, uh, funny coworker, the manager, um, you know, the manager of the Domino's Pizza place. I was that guy. I did a couple commercials with them. Um, there was a huge campaign for Arby's Rescue Squad. It was based on like the uh, Emergency 911 show uh, from the 70s. Right. Uh, they actually they built us, you know, two ambulances that had the Arby's uh, hat on top of it. It looked like a siren. We we're going to be doing uh, really, you know, they built an online thing for us. We did all of this online stuff, uh, new media stuff. We were going to have personal appearances. We were going to be going all over the place. And the guy, the guy knew, and Proctor Gamble or PepsiCo, or whoever owns them, got a new uh, CEO, and he goes, I, I don't get it. And so they canceled it. <laughs> and they showed, like, one commercial out of, this, out of the campaign. They spent millions on that thing, you know? And it's just like, the new CEO is like, ah, uh, I don't get it. And so, you know, they canceled it. Now, now the, doc, um, the Dr. Pepper, you're... you're... You're Larry, you know the guy who sells. I mean, how, what what was what was that original breakdown for? And you said it was only going to be for one season. Going in, did you think, you know, did you think 
that it would end up being this much? Or I mean, what was the breakdown when you went in? Were you supposed to be a little bit goofy? Were you was you were you the only like age demographic? Did they have younger people or older people? How was that broken down? No, it was a, it was a national search. They had they were having uh, they had you know actual coaches come in. They had uh, athletic directors. Uh, when I went in there, it was basically you know the guy's supposed to be older, supposed to have gray hair, grayish hair. He's been around for a long time, you know. So it's supposed to be probably the guys in his forties and fifties, forties and fifties. And so I saw that they had anybody, everybody in it. They had you know TV stars, they had movie you know actors. Um, and I worked for the doc. Dr. Pepper Snapple Group uh, a few years before those uh, the Snapple commercials. I was the CEO of Snapple Gym, and uh, it turned out to be the same creative team. And so, um, you know, I, I came in and I improvised a little bit off the script. And uh, it was in the morning. Uh, callback was in the afternoon. And they whittled it down. I think they found that if they're going to try to get somebody who's like actually 65 or 70, that the person actually probably couldn't do it because you had to be, there's a lot of physical stuff that was going on. And so they had me, cast me, I guess I was 53 at the time. And they grayed my hair to make me look older. Um, so it was... Uh, and they let, they let me know at the end of the week that it, uh, you know, that I got the role. And it was, uh, and then they told me it'd be like six. They're gonna shoot six spots, but it wasn't like, you know, this is gonna go for, for years, you know. And, and it, uh, it caught on. <clears throat> it's funny stuff. You know, the guy director is Jonathan Kreisel, who uh, directs uh, Portlandia and uh, the Baskets, whatever the, the Zach Galifianakis show. Right. Um, and. The direct, you know, the creative director is uh, Ryan Lair, you know, very funny guy. He does all the Dr. Pepper stuff. He does the little sweet stuff and uh, a Crave Runner. And so it was uh, the first first season was we were kind of, you know, figuring out how to do it. Uh, so Jonathan Kreisel was, is, is, you know, very supportive of improv. And, you know, Ryan was upset because... Uh, I, you know, only fifty percent of his lines got into the you know, the commercial, and the rest of it were you know mine. And they'd say, "Man, yeah, geez, I don't know what you know. Only three percent of what I do gets in the commercial. What the hell, man?" I'm like, yes. so, uh, and then we kind of you know since it became a success, we became. I mean, we're good friends, but it's it's like it's a great thing, and uh, and the gig is is pretty incredible. The first year I was doing it, and I'd go out to make you know, go to Atlanta to, to, to go to the games or make, you know, be on the Paul Feinbaum show or something like that, make personal appearances. Uh, people would ask, ask me what, you know, if that I was a real person and they'd, uh, ask me what stadium I actually worked at. <laughs> and so it's, and that's the, and that's the quality that I've, uh, you know, I've tried to maintain that it's, just, it has to be, everything I say has to be spontaneous. It can't be like I'm reading lines it has to be, you know, Sort of based in reality, uh, based in reality of a you know a totally uh, guy with a huge ego, and who knows a lot, but you know he's not a stupid guy, but he's uh, you know, Larry's uh, he does know a lot about football and you know vending and all that stuff. So it's uh, it's it was a clever campaign. It's it's been a real uh, collaboration, uh, getting it done, and it's, it's blown up. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm it's uh, 
Yeah, it's been incredible. I now, mean, you know, there's Halloween costumes and stuff, so. Now, do you travel a lot for that now? I mean, are, are you making personal appearances? Because I know a guy who was the uh, Bud guy for uh, the Bud, for this old super old NFL a while back. His name's Don McMillan. He was the Bud guy who pushed the card. He was like the Bud's, the Bud truck driver. Okay. And he was doing, I mean, he was going to, he ended up going to like three Super Bowls. He was going to games, and, and he always was in character, so people were bothering him. Are you going to college games? And if you do, these kids just must go crazy because you're, you're, you're this guy on the commercial, they see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just in uh, Iowa City like 10 days ago for the uh, University of Iowa, uh, Ohio State game. And, uh, yeah, people would, you know, I had two, uh, like on Friday at these high V stores, grocery stores, and you know people were amazed. They, and they advertised it pretty good, so we we had a lot of people coming up to take pictures with us, standing in line to take pictures. And uh, yeah, so I go to all the I go to I've gone to like in the past I've probably gone to one game a month, and now it's like two games a month. And I also make starting to make more personal appearances this year than ever before. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing what what people. You know, I drove 150 miles just to come see you, man. You know, it's just like, what? Wow. And uh, I was you for Halloween. You know, so like, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, and the, and the college kids, man, they're pretty, they're pretty excitable. I mean, I I was down at the SEC championship last year, and uh, I almost got trampled by a, uh, a crowd of you know a gang of 15 year olds. That just we were walking back to the hotel room through the convention center, and these guys see me, and they just start running full tilt <laughs> towards me, and they weren't going to stop until one of the one of the women that I was you know in the in my uh, group that we were walking, she like jumps in front of me, <laughs> stop. And it was just like it, it's incredible, you know. So now and then at the champ game last year, I had to have a police escort. Really? Because it's uh, yeah, I can't, you, I can't. We try to go. We try to go through the crowds to get somewhere. We can't. We just get stopped. You know, people want pictures and shit. So it's it's crazy. So we try to go around, you know, the back hallways of convention centers, or you know, so or as they put me in a golf cart and whisk me away. Not but yeah, it's great. People people are very complimentary. People, it's it's, it's you know, it, it, uh, it's a populist character. You know, I'm a, I'm a man of the people. So it's uh, it's great. Now, that's, that's, so that's my job is to go out and make these personal appearances. You know, I have to be accessible because I'm, I'm supposed to be in the stadium. Now, do people think, do some people think you're actually, I mean, you say you actually the same thing. I mean, what do you think the percentages of people who think you actually might be real are? Uh, at first year, it was like, it was it was probably 50% people know that, you know. I wasn't that... Uh, you know, I had the visor on and uh, the shades and all that stuff, so it wasn't that recognizable. It's just me. But now people know. You know, they come up and say, hey, man, really like you and vice principal. That's great. Hey, man, you know. So it's, or well, I saw you in Watchmen. That was great. So what's like, you know, so in community. You know, so it's, it's, they, so a lot of people know who I am now. And, it, you, and plus with the, you know, the internet stuff, they can Google me and find out what I've been in. IMDb, they, they can see what I've done. So, um, but I think kids, you know, kids believe I'm a real, you know, like especially the younger ones, they believe I'm a real guy. Now, in your career also, you've done some voice work. How did you get into voice work? When did that start in your career? I started around, uh, I guess 1998. Um, 
Pat Brady was at my at Kazarian uh, Measures Ruskin, which was Kazarian Spencer and Associates back then. Uh, she was running the voiceover department, so she had to come in and start doing voiceovers. And then she moved to CSD, so she took like eight of us with her. And so that was like, you know, 1999, 2000. It was like, you know, you drive to your agency and, you know, sit there for two and a half hours and do your auditions. And so I started, uh, I was the voice of the Blastic Pickle Stork for five years, uh, the Klondike Bear for a couple of years. Um, and I've done animation, I've done voice matching for Sir Ian McKellen and uh, Rip Torn, um, you know, stuff like that. And, and then I was, you know, then I've had some radio campaigns for uh, advanced auto parts and uh, some rest, restaurant chain back in the back in the East Coast. So it was, uh, it's been great. I mean, that's the one thing that kind of stays constant, you know, after the tech. Uh, blow up in the late 90s, the commercial industry kind of started going up and down depending on the you know, beginning and ending quarters of uh, financial quarters. And, uh, and, it was, and, and rightfully so. I mean, the, the commercials were affected by uh, world events, 9-11, uh, the Iraq war starting, all, stuff, all things like that. So the more, the funnier commercials would kind of get pushed back you know, or canceled. But, um, yeah, so I started doing voiceover, and it's, um, it's mostly, most of it's radio stuff. Um, did a lot of McDonald's, uh, Third Street Bank, um, different stuff like that. Yeah, I got, a, I got a voice for radio. Now, now, do you, do you, because of your background in stage acting, as you said in the beginning, you were, you had to calm it down when you got on TV because you're very, you're louder because you're, you're enunciating. Do you think that helps you when you, in the beginning, when you were going to voice auditions, do you think it helped because you could fill a room with your voice? Do you think it helped you get gigs? And do you still use that? Do you still use your voice like in the old theater training when you're doing these voiceovers? Well, yes, Steve, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. Um, no, well, it's, it's, yeah, that's interesting because, you know, on the way to, uh, on the way to auditions, you know, I always warm up, you know, get my voice, get my instrument in gear. But, um, yeah, I mean, you you have to use, you, you learn mic technique. It took a while. It took a couple classes to learn the mic technique, how far away to be and how much, you know, how to use the headphones and all that stuff. Um, I think it, I think it did help because especially in like, uh, like, uh, the video games where you have to die, and get shot and get punched and get, you know, burned alive. You know, you're in, in there for four hours. And unless you know how to, you know, warm up your voice and you have your your muscles, your throat muscles in gear, you're, you're not going to be able to work the next day. You're not going to be able to talk the next day. And that's, you know, that's a valid thing for uh, voiceover actors. You know, that, uh, you know, you go in to do like, uh, uh, Gears of War, you know, some of that stuff. And you do the dialogue first for a couple of hours, three hours, four hours. And then the last half hour, you do the screaming and the dying and the burning alive, you know. So, like, burning alive is like, ah! And then you got to burn alive and then fall over a cliff. Like, ah! You know. I can't talk now, Steve. I'm sorry. It just blew up. 
<laughs> you blew your you blew your vocals out. Now, with your yeah. acting, with your acting from you know you were acting in a lot more shows. Now, was there a problem transitioning from commercials to shows? I mean, I know some people who've been in a lot of commercials they get stuck in that commercial mode, and then some people you know then they can't get commercials. Was it easy for you to start transitioning yeah. over to the acting parts because you had a familiar face in commercials? And that doesn't mean you're not a good actor. It just means that's what you're booking. How was the casting directors? Did some of them recognize you from commercials when you were coming in in the earlier days when you already were booking commercials? Um, I think that it does help, but sometimes it works against you. I mean, it depends on the, the, the younger casting directors. I mean, you see, I mean, Jane Lynch started out in, in commercials. Uh, Kyle, uh, somebody had his own sitcom for a while. Uh, he, you know, start out in commercials. You see the guys that start out in commercials and they're, you know, they go on to uh, good fame. That was kind of um, before and after my day. So, yeah, it was, it was like, especially when the Dr. Pepper thing, I think the Dr. Pepper thing probably might have gotten me into the, because they can see it's improv, so that might have gotten me into uh, the uh, vice principals. And it probably, you know, it helped. Uh, I was on Lopez for the first, uh, his new show on TV land. I was on that for the first year. Um, so that, that helped, you know, and especially now if you have a high profile, especially on social media, that might be one of the first things they ask you when you go in the room, especially if you're like a 20, 30 year old, how many followers do you have? But back in the, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, the prejudice was if you're a commercial actor, you're not a serious actor. Um, there's a story about Dustin Hoffman going through a, you know, a huge decision of whether he's going to do a Volkswagen commercial and how that was going to affect his acting career. He did it. Now he'd be branded as a commercial actor. And he did. He did the Volkswagen commercial and hadn't heard him. But that was like it back in the 60s, you know, so you actually really had to think about stuff like that. And um, I think it hurt me back then. I think being, you know, having a recognizable face kind of hurt. Uh, back in the early aughts, you know, late 90s, early aughts, because, uh, you know, people want to get real actors, and they think that real actors are not commercial actors, because you know, it's just like bite and smile uh, shit. But it's not. And commercials, the commercial industries, you know, the writing, the commercials, the commercials themselves have changed, because they want you to, you know, keep your eyeballs on there, because they're competing with DVRs, VCRs, uh, all that stuff, fast-forwarding. So they want to create something that's visually uh, funny. And if you have a recognizable face and, you know, you've done stuff that have made people laugh, then they're going to cast you more commercials. So, like, the biggest compliment I've ever, I've ever got is, you know, I, I'm a uh, TiVo killer or I'm a DVR <laughs> stopper. It's like, yeah, I usually, I usually, you know, I usually fast forward through all the commercials, but I always stop and watch yours. I'm like, well, wow, man, that's cool. That is. That's very and cool. So, yeah, so I think you know it's gotten it's gotten better in the when we first started the uh, after the first year of the Dr. Pepper thing. It was like, yeah, let's make a sitcom. And everybody's like, no, oh, you could have your own sitcom, man. It's going to blow up into sitcom, and you know, never did because of intellectual property rights and all that stuff. So who owns the character? And yeah, they didn't see it was basically well, you know, we make more money doing commercials. We don't want to, you know branch out into sitcoms or a web series or anything like that. That'd be too much. Now, the, so, um, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you mentioned Watchmen earlier. 
what was it like for? I mean, that's a really big budget movie. I, mean, I know you were in Blades of Glory and stuff like that. But what is it like for an actor to go on a really big budget movie when you're used to TV or commercials, which is a shorter, you know, shorter turnaround? What was that like for you? I mean, was it was it a different surrounding? Was it a different way of shooting? You know, the way it's shot, or what was that like? It was uh, it was pretty much the same. You know, basically all sets looked the same. That was shot up in uh, Vancouver. And I was up there for yeah, f- almost a week. So I, sat, I only shot like for four hours. And so they were way behind schedule. So that's why they didn't, they brought me up and I had I stayed, 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 stayed. And uh, it was, I mean, especially when I, well, you, you see the different types of acting, like, you know, in, in movies, you can take pauses, right? Uh, you go through the thought process, you kind of show your thought process, right? You can, you can, you have the luxury of doing that in, in commercials, you don't. And, you know, so I was playing Pat Buchanan. I was in like the first two minutes of the movie. And so it's, you know, it was, it was an interview show. So you don't have time to take pauses. You got to just get your information out there. You know, it's a, it's a new show. But, um, but it was, you know, it was interesting that they spent all the stories they had about guys, like they hired a guy, uh, to play Fidel Castro, and they brought him up from L.A. and uh, he demand he's the guy who never <laughs> no credits right, but he looked like Fidel Castro, and it was going to be like a two second shot of Fidel Castro. In the movie these you know jets fly over and he it's uh yeah, he's standing with a Russian guy in Cuba and they you know watch the jets fly over, and this guy was like demanded he wanted a cot on set he wanted all this all this shit and then when they finally got him into makeup uh he said you are making you, this is a mockery of, of fidel castro i refuse to do this and uh so the director just canned him and they put uh, the prosthetics the facial prosthetics on a crew member and that's so he's in the movie and the guy was like, you know, sent back to Omaha. And I guess, I mean, sent back to Los Angeles. And I guess the guy was like, also had a felon, a felony, which he shouldn't have got in the Canada in the first place. So it's, it was like, you know, that, that kind of stuff is pretty, pretty amazing. You know, um, Blaze Glory, again, was like a great experience. You know, I'd, I worked with those guys, the, the directors, with Josh and Will on uh, a Domino's campaign and a Geico spot. And they branched out and you know, started doing movies, and they, you know, took people along with them, and that was that was great. So they knew me, they knew you know what I could do and all that stuff. And I, I was also in the first when the the uh, guy go caveman. There was a when they they had a series of <laughs> a sitcom. I was in the first sitcom pilot for the caveman series, and then they. Uh, you know, they shot the whole thing. John Hurd was in it. All these people were in it. And then they didn't like that pilot. So they, I think they, I don't know if they went to a different studio or what happened. But uh, I wasn't in the series. I wasn't in the other, other pilot. But yeah, those guys, you know, Josh and Will uh, directed that series too. So it's, it's you kind of see that but a lot of commercial directors like the uh, uh, Scott Brothers, you know, those guys all started in commercials. Michael Bay started in commercials. He still does commercials. Scott, Scott, uh, those guys have a company called Scott Free, and they do they produce commercials a lot. So it's a yeah, it's it's a money maker for for directors. 
now uh, we're doing the movie directors. Now, when, like, yeah, when when do you think you started hitting your stride, as in getting booked on TV? I mean, because now you're working a lot, but was it was it you know what was the break? I mean, I know you were in a fact checkers, but was that your first time as a regular? And then when did you feel your TV commercial? I mean, your TV actually the episodics really started taking off. Um. I think the episodic started taking off in the early aughts um, when I figured out, you know, what, I mean, I figured out in commercials what, you know, I, I was like, I'm not going to go in the room and try to figure out what they want because I don't know who they are. So I just bring in what I think is the solution to the, you know, to the character, to the situation, to the, to the commercial. I have like five different things I bring in the room, five different options I can do. Uh, and so I started doing that with, uh, with episodics too, I just started going in with, you know, this is what I'm bringing to the to the table. You know, I don't know what you guys really want, so, you know, so they and they want a fresh approach. You know, I've got cast and stuff, and people are like, wow, that's that was totally, you know, that was totally not what we were thinking of, but it was great. You know, so it's, um, you got to do that. You can't put yourself in the box. You know, and it took, you know, it takes. Took me a while because of being a theater actor, you know. It's like I'm a character actor; I can do anything, yeah. You know? And you don't want to put yourself in a box of like, well, I'm just this character. I'm just this, you know, boss, the surly boss, or this surly reporter, or something like that. No, it's like you gotta, you know, you you think you can do all these different characters, but you only look, you know, you have only one look, basically, depending on how you uh, cut your hair and shave your face. And so I, you know, I couldn't, I had a beard for a while and then I, uh, I guess I got a Taco Bell commercial. I had a goatee, you know, I like and I got a William Tell commercial as, uh, I mean, a Taco Bell commercial as William Tell. I shot a, something off my son's head. And so I think it was a soda or something. And my, you know, my commercial agent says, okay, you're done now. You can shave your, you can shave your goatee because back then, you know, Facial hair wasn't wasn't anything, and now it's all the rage. You know, you see guys going in uh, commercial auditions with huge facial hair, and then probably in five years, it's not ever going. You know, so you got to you got to figure out what the trends are. You can't have purple hair when you're going in for a CEO. You know, <laughs> and uh, so that so you have to keep yourself somewhat camera ready. You know. Now, did you enjoy shooting Hawaii Five O? Because I know it's I know. Most actors love shooting Hawaii Five O because yeah, they, was, they get to go to Hawaii for like a, they keep you there for a week, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't stay there for a week because uh, I had a two-year-old at the time, or like almost a newborn. I think he was like six, eight months old, and so I was the prime primary caregiver, and um, you know, so I was gonna, you know, you get paid a certain amount for the week, and that was gonna be eaten up by you know daycare. Uh, you know, babysitter costs. And so I'm like, okay, I can, I can, I can shoot, but I'm going to, I'll pay myself, you know, I'll buy my own ticket to go back and then I'll come back. And it was, and, and while I was gone, they had the worst uh, monsoon weather <laughs> they've had in four decades. So they couldn't shoot. And so it was, I was kind of lucky that way. But the guy, you know, the other guys in that, in that uh, episode were like, yeah, we just kind of sat around the hotel and there's like, you know, landslides, mudslides, all this stuff. So, um, yeah, that was, that was great. It was, uh, and that was like the first, 
I guess I played other. I played other, you know, bad guys. But it, it, the thing was, like, if you're a comedian, you can do tragedy. It's kind of because comedian is is heightened tragedy, you know. But if you're a tragedian, that's what you're you're famous for. It's very hard to go the other way because uh, it's harder to be funny when you're, a, you know, a serious actor than it's harder to be serious when you're a funny actor because you kind of get it, you know. Um, and so that, yeah, I played a serial killer in Hawaii Five-0, and that was, uh, that was great. I mean, yeah, they put you up at the Hilton. <laughs> it was, it was fun. A lot of fun. Now, now, uh, okay. No, go ahead. I was just saying now, now with your sitcom work, you know, you've been on such really good sitcoms. Is it a great feeling when you go onto a set to, let's say, a Brooklyn Nine-Nine or a Parks and Recreation or a community where you know, as you said, you have the, the room to improv a little bit, but you know that all the other people have their chops, the writing's going to be good. I mean, what's it feel like when right. you're going into a situation like that where you're like, okay, you know what, I know this script's not going to be crappy. I know I'm not going to you know, sit there and go, holy crap, what am I reading? What is that like? Does that boost an actor's confidence or is it sometimes intimidating because you're going into a show where there is a cast that has been around for a while? Um, yeah, but I mean, if it operates both ways, you gotta, you gotta, you know, pick up your game, you know, um, like with community, uh, parks and rec, those guys, yeah, it is, it is great, uh, writing, great direction. And you are there to, you know, they, they pick you because of what you can do, you know, of your abilities to improv. And so it's, that's great. Um, and it's welcoming and it's, it's like, you're really bringing something, you know, you bring something to the party. Um, yeah, I was on the first season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They didn't, you know, they let us improv a little bit. And then I, they, came, I, they, came, they got me back for one or two episodes in the second season, and it was expected. You know, that was scheduled. And basically, okay, you have your fun run. And that's what they call it, a community, was no, at Parks and Rec. Okay, this is your fun run. Have a fun run. Just do, do whatever you want. After they got what they wanted from the script, then they said, yeah, just do whatever you want. And so that was that was great, you know. So I'm on, like with Parks and Rec, I'm on, on set with Chris Pratt, Andy Poehler, uh, you know, these great improvers. Um, the thing it, it was it was it was interesting. In 2015, I got cast uh, in an NBC pilot, and uh, the vice president at the same time. And they were different schedules. There, they were. It was uh, the, the NBC pilot was called uh, Not Safe for Work, and if you know not. NSFW, and it was just your regular sitcom, network sitcom. You could not say one word different because the, the scripts had been approved by the network, and they make a lot of money by dubbing them for overseas markets. They make, you know, probably a large percentage of their uh, profits from that. And so, you, you know, Cherry O'Terry was in there. Fred Ward was in that. Uh, yeah, there's some good, there's good actors, and there's also some actors. I mean, the the, the director cast some people that you've worked with before that were, you know, young sitcom actors that just say, you know, stand still and say the stuff that's on the script. And uh, I would go up to the writer and go, "Well, can I change this line? Can I do this? Can I do it? You know?" And the writer would go, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great." And the director would go, "No, you can't do that. Don't do that." Yeah. So it was. Uh, and you have all the you know network people hanging around. Worked on, you know, King of Queens and 
that was an interesting we worked on drew carey's show it was all very very you, you you go into a you go into a set and it's like you're going into a small town and it's could either be a friendly small town or it can be a ugly small town and dark small town and that is established by you know the, the producers and mostly the you know the lead actors the lead characters in the sitcom so it's an interesting thing and as a guest star it's, it's it takes you a while to figure that out when you first get there you know it took me a while to figure out that you can't just go in and just like hey how you doing what's good you got to figure out what's going on before you uh you know see where your place and the pecking order is some people are very very friendly to guest stars other people are not you know and so it's it's just the you know the climate uh or the ecology of the of the set i mean like ncis at the uh first read through, you know, the producers, Mark Harmon, everybody came around, shook everybody, saying, Hey Jim, it's great to have you here. You know, Lily Tomlin was there. It was just like, it was great. It, it, was, it treated you like a, a valuable thing, valuable person. Uh, Drew Carey show was the complete opposite. It was just, nobody said anything. I, like one of the, uh, one of the actors, uh, came up and said to me, you better not get used to your costume because I, you might get recast. Oh wow! I'm like, <laughs> I was like, well, oh, like, oh, oh, are you serious? She goes, yeah, yeah. Jeez, like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's just a weird thing. But he, I, you know, I, I think he's gone through a lot of changes, and he's a happier person now. But you know, it's just, it's just weird, man. So you go, but it, but it's yeah, you know, it's great to meet people who are friendly and they don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah. And, uh, but sometimes that's that's not the case, you know. Now, with Vice Principals, I mean, they shot both seasons at one time. What's it like as an actor when you're, you're waiting for it to come out, the second season, and it's like your career changes, and it's something that, you know, it must be weird as an actor, because you want to know how the show's doing, and you know it was only going to be two seasons, but it must be weird when it comes yeah. out so much later than when you shot it, because you're like, holy crap, you know, maybe I've grown as an actor or, you know, wow, I, I forgot doing these episodes. What's that like when you see it come out so much later? Well, I noticed that my neck was a lot fatter. I had a lot of neck fat. That's, uh, <laughs> since then, my neck is slimmed down and I'm happy about that. But, uh, it's, yeah, we shot that in two, uh, like six months, uh, spring, fall, 2015, so yeah, it came out last season. The first season came out last year, and then they, uh, you know, then this season just came out uh, in 2017. So yeah, you kind of, I mean, like there's there's like a kid, the kid who played the, uh, I played the punk kid, right? You know, in this season, you know, he was like that was his first gig, you know, and he was like chomping at the bit for this stuff to come out, you know, and, and so the first season came out, he wasn't in the first season, and so for him, it was like, you know, fuck, he, he wants you to come out, because he wants to get an agent, he wants to move to New York or LA, or he wants, you know, so he'd be calling up me, and calling up David Gordon Green, and, you know, what, would you hear anything, anything, you know, when it's going to come out, can I, you know, and uh, hopefully he got something from it, I don't know, but like for me, I was I was working. I was doing the, uh, the other stuff. I was doing other gigs, and so I wasn't that dependent on it coming out. Um, hopefully, you know, it will it will help me in my in my career. 
Um, those guys, I mean, were, were incredible to work with. You know, they actually, you go into a, you know, you go into an audition for uh, a guest star role, and you know, it's like people sitting behind the, you know, sitting behind the tables. There's the director, the you know, producers, and they, you know, some of them don't even look up. They're on their computers. They're doing stuff. And I went in to audition for this, and Danny was there. Um, Randy was there, a writer, and uh, Jody Hill was there. They all stood up, shook my hand, you know. You don't, and they were, you know, it was just like, hey, great to meet you, man. Great, you know, it's like, you don't get that, you know. And those guys could be real pricks if they wanted to because they're, they're successful. Right. But they're not. They're, they, they have this welcoming, you know, it's a really welcoming community. Those guys have been together since since college, you know. They could just be this, like, exclusive clique if they wanted to. But no, they're not. They're like, they're great. And it was, uh, and it was, it was fun. You know, it was, it was, it was fun on set. It was fun off set. We had some great parties. The Charleston was like, it was stressful because he didn't know what five-star restaurant to go out to at night. And that's about, you know, that's about it. But it was good, but it was, yeah, it was like fantastic, you know, fantastic work. And they, uh, they really appreciated whatever they brought did to, you, the, to the project. Did you base your character on any, high school teachers or acting teachers you ran into because you're very over the top with the scarf and just, you know, it's just one of those, when you think of like a small town acting teacher, did you base that yeah. on someone? Did you bring something to that? Yeah, there's a guy in, uh, in Omaha who like ran, I guess he gave theater awards or some, something. I think he gave me an award for, for being in Mancha. And uh, he, was, he was he was an older guy, kind of dressed pretty, you know, snappy. Uh, but uh, he had a flair about him. So he, he was, that was one of the guys. And then also some different uh, speech coaches I knew from other schools in, uh, in Omaha. You know, you get, you get a wide range of, of these of, of guys. And some college. I didn't have anybody in college that was like that so much. Um, some people I met in Boston, some directors I met in Boston were like that. You know, they had this little kingdom. Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, but he was, I, they didn't want, I mean, they, he was, you know, I think they wanted the question there, was he gay or not? And I was like, well, if he is gay at, at, at this age, you know, I'm not going to, he's not going to be out especially in a high school, Southern high school situation, you know, but he's, you know, he's flamboyant. So, um, so kind of try to straddle the fence there with him a little bit. Well, so it was, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the costume was already, uh, decided for me when I got there and I basically wore the, like three variations right. all, for both. Well, it's so it was. Uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Well, it's a great show, and you're great in it. And you know what? I want to. I want to thank you for coming on and talking about your career. You know, it's, you you have a lot going on. And you know, people, if you haven't watched Vice Principals, if you have HBO, go back and watch it. It's a really funny show. It's dark. It's dark, but it's good, and you'll yeah. get, you'll you'll get a good kick out of it. So now, now, are you on social media? Do you tweet or Instagram or anything like that? Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on both. I'm on uh, at Jim Connor on Twitter. Uh, I think I'm Jim Connor on uh, Instagram also. Um, 
couple of, uh, last year I started this uh, group called Union Working because we were, there's a, there a bunch of commercial actors who were kind of upset about the last uh, uh, contract negotiation stuff. So we started this thing to try to be pro-union, pro-worker, try to form an alliance with all unions, you know, plumbers, steamfitters, teachers, actors, you know, grips, uh, in order to give us more power as, as, as union members. So I do, uh, at Union Working, I, I tweet every day. Okay. Um, not as, but as, you know, so, and we also have a website and, and uh, we have a YouTube channel at Union Working. So we're trying, we, we're putting out, I started a production company, we're putting out, uh, you know, union stories, pro-union stuff, just to, because unions are, are, every union is facing an existential threat right now. So from, you know, from state legislatures, from Congress, from uh, corporations, for everything. So that's uh, that's where I'm very active on, on social media. Great. Um, union Working Facebook and Union Working Day. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you for coming on. People, go check us out his filmography on on IMDb. You'll have to type in James M. Connor. So type him. Type him in. Go watch. Go watch Jim's work. You're going to see him if you watch college football. You're going to see him the rest of the season and and probably next season. Yeah. It's big. Yeah. I mean, it's which is good. It's always yeah. a great character. So people follow him. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. Go to my website CooperTalk.net. I have over 650 episodes up there. You can email me Cooper at CooperTalk.net. And don't forget my other side project. Uh, you can go to my website, StopTheSalt.com. When I went through that heart problem a few years ago, I got out of the hospital. I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 low-sodium recipes. Very easy to make. No pictures to intimidate you. Very geared towards you guys who are afraid to cook. So you can get it on Amazon.com. But if you go to StopTheSalt.com, I'll sign it for you, and I make more money. So please, go follow Jim. Go watch Vice Principles. It's great. Keep up on his work. By Dr. Pepper. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, stop eat your vegetables, salt. and stop the salt. Stop you guys the have salt. A, you guys have a great day. Thanks. Stop the salt.